welcome to Crawl Space. I am Tim here today in the Crawl Space Wormtown Studios, joined by Lance. What's up, Lance? Hey, how's it going? It feels good to be here. It's a beautiful day in Wormtown, nestled in the Crawl Space Studios. The sun is peeking in. The sun is more than peeking in. <laughs> What's up? Chloe Cantor is also joining us. How are you, Chloe? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So today we are talking about some true crime news, things that have been happening in the past week or two. Uh, the stories that we're going to focus on today are D.B. Cooper. There's some sort of new news about D.B. Cooper. He's, he's possibly been identified after all these years. Uh, we are also going to talk about Richard Russell, the man who hijacked the Alaska Airlines airplane over the weekend and uh, crashed it. Uh, it's a very crazy story tragic story and tragic yes we're also going to mention the lady of the dunes talk about that a little bit and uh the new sort sort of new thing that kind of broke there at least it's become it's ex exploded online in the past couple weeks this uh theory that we're going to talk about about the lady of the dunes and uh, before we get into that but we just wanted to talk real briefly about a couple of disappearances uh molly tibbetts i know has has been in the media constantly the past month. Of course, Molly Tibbetts disappeared from, I believe it's Brooklyn, Iowa, on July 18th, 2018. She's 5'3", 120 pounds, brown eyes, long brown hair, Caucasian woman, 20 years old. So uh, we've gotten a lot of emails, a lot of tweets about uh, this case saying, you know, what can you do? Can you cover this case? And uh, it's, it's really too sensitive at this point. It's so fresh. You would need to let proper investigators, law enforcement do their job before you even consider getting involved. Right. Watch the news and listen to uh, law enforcement. Listen to her parents. Uh, they they're out there. They're talking about her and know that there is most definitely activity going on behind the scenes with law enforcement. You don't know what they're uh, doing. So keep talking about her. Um, but uh, yeah, there's probably not going to be any significant speculation on our part as to what happened. I definitely recommend reading up as much as you can. I'm, I'm a member of the Facebook group, which is pretty huge at this point. And so I'm, I pretty much see all the articles as they come. So I just recommend keeping yourself updated and questioning the sources and whatnot. Here's a quote here that, that I found interesting, though, in uh, the research here. DCI special agent in charge Richard Ron said Monday, we feel confident that this Fitbit, uh, I believe, will ultimately lead to finding Molly. We'll continue to strive to bring her back home safely. Or, or actually, he might have been talking about the website that they just created, brand new website uh, called findmolly.iowa.gov. Well, you raise a good point there. It's almost like that 23andMe and the DNA testing with the Fitbit, how much is um, reasonable to track somebody. And the Fitbit holds a ton of information on it, including heart rate. You know, you can you can see the, through the data what the heart rate is at. Hmm. So that is, uh, that is a really unique way to provide updates um, and provide, you know, whereabouts maybe. Yeah, location, right? That, that tracks location as well. Yeah. So in theory... Yeah, unless you shut it off, right? Can you shut it off? And you then... can take it off. Okay, you can so, shut it off, take it off. So unless yeah. she was very aware of that, you know, and and is dis has disappeared on purpose, there may be some information in there. So it, it is interesting to to know like th that there is a lot going on behind the scenes in that. Uh, a a statement like that from a special agent is uh, 
kind of surprising to me based on what we know, which is not much. Right. Which is what we don't know is going on behind the scenes. All of these statements, we should assume, are deliberate and calculated moves by law enforcement to put out certain pieces of information, knowing that certain people might be reading it and there might be a reaction to it. Well, I just wanted to add, it was just an interesting interview. Her father recently had a sort of like press conference where he was openly answering the questions. And I think it's on Fox News, um, their website. He shared that his theory was that Molly left willingly with someone that she knew who had the wrong idea about their relationship and now is holding her captive alive against her will and he doesn't know what to do. So I don't know if that was calculated by law enforcement for I don't know what the intention was, but it just it was stunning to the community because of how specific it was. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And hi, everybody. Everyone's saying hi. So I just want to be oh, polite cool. and say hi back. It's like oh. Chloe's sister is in the chat hey, room. Hey, oh. Maya. Thanks for joining. Jasper. Yeah, Jasper. Jasper, Casey, Christina. Christina. Hey. hey. Long time no see. Sarah Turney <laughs> and Kyle Palmer. What's up, What's everybody? Up, guys? Hey. Commenting in the chat room. Also, there is uh, the the five-year anniversary of Brandon Lawson's disappearance just recently passed, and uh, a close uh, follower of this podcast and uh, a friend to the to the community to to our to us. Uh, he's especially uh, a friend to the Brianna Maitland community. is is constantly active in in those Facebook pages. His name is Jason Watts, and he was a friend of Brandon Lawson. And uh, so we're actually going to have. Jason on Crawl Space pretty soon to talk about the disappearance of his friend, Brandon Lawson. I spoke to Jason yesterday and he said, so Brandon had a, a common law wife. Uh, he was with this woman for 10 years and they had four children together. So uh, yesterday, Jason told me that he told Ladessa that we were covering the case and she was really excited and said she was even open to coming on the show. Great. So that and could be really useful information coming from her. And so that was his common law wife? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Brandon Lawson, he was five or is five nine, brown hair, blue eyes, two hundred and thirty pounds. He has tattoos, and he went missing August ninth, twenty thirteen, down in Texas. And there's that infamous uh, piece of audio where he's on the phone. And you can make of it what you will. There's tons of ways that you can interpret what he's talking about. But it, it is that, that infamous piece of audio. It is another one of those disappearances where there's no trace. And it's just such a mind bender that, you know, it, it's, it, it, it requires us to talk a lot more in depth on it. Yeah. It's such a mysterious case. I definitely recommend looking up that audio. It's, def- it's easily available on the YouTube. And check out the family's website. They have all the information. If you follow us on Instagram, I actually did a Q&A with Jason's help. It's um, saved on our highlights, so that could answer some common questions. But we're really excited to have an episode coming up. Some basic circumstances where he was on his way. He lived in San Angelo, Texas, and I think went missing in Bronte. He called his brother saying that he ran out of gas So his brother was going to come help him. And this was after an argument with his partner. So he was, I think, driving to his parents' house. And he called his brother, said he was out of gas. Meanwhile, he called 911. And this was something his brother didn't know, saying that he needed help. He was chased in the woods. And a lot of that call is up to interpretation. But the case was still isn't really being treated like Brandon needed help and was maybe being targeted that night. And that's something we're definitely going to explore. 
pivoting out of that real quick, uh, we do have a new podcast to announce, and it's not ready yet, but uh, we, we're just announcing that uh, that this is in development, and it is a new podcast coming from Crawl Space Media. I would say there's someone at this table who would beg to differ that it's not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly in development, but uh, the show is going to be called True Crime Twins, and it will be uh, hosted by Chloe and her sister, Melina. We're really excited. I'm just really looking forward to talking about the cases we're obsessed with and sharing it from our perspective. Both of us are mental health professionals. We're both just um, authentically obsessed with true crime cases. So I just I'm excited to tell stories of cases that maybe people haven't heard about and offer our sometimes polarized opinions about cases that you're already quite familiar with. So I think we're going to start with four episodes yeah well, i'm not, not sure yet yeah, yeah maybe four or six uh episodes to start for first season but uh yeah should be pretty fun and you'll be you'll be doing it right out of the crawl space studios we're excited because this is the first time that we're branching out and and bringing in other people to take over the microphones and and putting the crawl space media tag on it and we're super proud that it's you and your sister because you guys are so knowledgeable and you are in the field and you have that genuine genuine interest as well from an early age from a super early age yes. like like how old were you when you and your sister were looking at the FBI's website honestly maybe 10 years old like we shared like a desktop computer in this in my dad's computer room so while he did work from home we were in there so he would really monitor us our internet activity as a safety oriented parent would be. And I think it was kind of stunning to see that we were on like Charlie project, FBI's most wanted. We were just kind of captivated and obsessed by these people that needed help. What did your dad think? <laughs> I think they were concerned that it was a little bit like macabre and dark. Like, why are they so obsessed with this? But I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they still are a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> but they're pretty supportive. They think it's cool. Like okay. th they like the show. Great. So yeah, they, great. they like they like Crawl Space. But I think at first, when when we're young children, it's a little odd. But the interest persisted with time. So I think they got used to it. They better like Crawl Space. They love it. <laughs> they love it. True Crime Twins coming to a uh, podcast venue near you, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. That's going to be good. I can't wait. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so let's now let's get to the meat. Yeah, let's talk about the Lady of the Dunes. Now, uh, the Lady of the Dunes is a an unidentified body that was found in Provincetown, Massachusetts in 1976, July 1976. Okay, great. And uh, the body has is still unidentified to this day. They do have composites, uh, computer-generated composites of this woman, and we're looking at one right now. I wish I could attach it to the... Uh, Facebook page, but I, I can't, I guess. This this story is is followed by a lot of true crime aficionados, and uh, there's this story that Stephen King's son, his name's Joe Hill, he's also an author, and he was watching the movie Jaws with his kids in the movie theater a couple years ago, and he saw an extra, a background artist, as they're called, uh, in the background during one of these beach scenes, and she had a blue bandana on, and jeans. And very much matches the current composite sketch that's out there. Absolutely. It really does. So so he saw this this woman, this extra in Jaws, and he said, I think that could be the Lady of the Dunes based on the computer-generated uh, composite 
that he had seen before uh, viewing the movie. And this isn't new information. This no. this has been out since uh, 2015. He put this on his Tumblr page. He put the, uh, the account on his Tumblr page, and the way he describes his feeling when he saw the extra was, uh, it's like he wrote himself, because he writes a very similar genre to his father, and it's like he wrote himself uh, in a book describing this tingling feeling, this wash of emotion, goosebumps, and he, he just had this like wave of emotion that came over him when he saw uh, the the extra and it just clicked in his head that that matches the Lady of the Dunes whose grisly murder has been uh, a subject of Cape Cod and especially Provincetown uh, folklore for you know 40 years now 40 something years now yeah also, her hands were were cut off. Oh, uh, head so dashed she, in. Yeah, so cut she. Off. One of the reasons she has never been identified, and no one's ever come forward to say my daughter or my wife has been missing since 1976. Right, which makes it even more uh, mysterious. Also, the the extra from Jaws has never come forward to say that I'm that extra. Right. So, yeah. So, at first, I was kind of annoyed by this story. You I, were. I was thinking, like... Uh, if, well, Joe Hill's got a new book coming out called right. Strange Weather, so it right. seems like the timing is a little bit uh, convenient. My annoyance was more about, like, if, if some common web sleuth, so, someone like me or, or you, Chloe, or you, Lance, saw this this extra in this movie and we stood up and we had this feeling and we put it on the internet. Would anyone care? Do, do we only care because this is Stephen King's son who said this? Right. So that was why I was slightly annoyed at first. But then when you look at the composite, uh, and this picture of the, the extra in jaws, they are pretty, pretty similar. Also, uh, jaws was filmed in Martha's vineyard right around. Well, before the lady of the dunes was found. So geographically speaking, there's, some connection. The proximity works. And also the blue bandana was found at the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing a blue bandana in the, in the movie. Again, I don't know what to make of this. What's confusing about it is that this woman hasn't come forward or that the the extra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or that no one has come forward saying, Oh, I know who that is or something like that. There's so many people who have seen that movie, Jaws. And the one person to pull that out is Joe Hill. Author of Horns, by the way, which is fantastic. Right. Movie was kind of, uh, but yeah. the book is great. But that's what kind of makes me think that it, it that it's just his imagination potentially. I think you're right. Like so many people have seen the movie Jaws, but not that many people have the morbid curiosity fueled initiative to look at pictures of does and try to identify them. Like that's something that really only people that are interested, I think, in true crime and related subjects would do and i think he probably has those interests yeah i mean that you're talking about looking at pictures of of does that means you're looking through death you're looking at pictures of death and you're right morbid not a lot of people are like that's how i'm gonna spend my sunday afternoon right and sometimes like for there are so many doe cases if you go on web sleuth websites or certain subreddits on reddit you'll see people put in so much time and effort going through the Doe Project or trying to match a missing person to one of the Doe's. People get really into it, but it's a very specific group of people. There was a really notable, there were two notable cases, actually three in rapid succession due to the DNA Doe Project, by um, which was founded by, I think, Dr. Co- Colleen Fitzpatrick. And so three like pretty famous Doe's. Um, it was the Buckskin Girl, Lyle Stevick and um, Joseph Newton Chandler, all of these does. So you can look all those up. You might already know who they are, but they were all identified. 
and so we're kind of seeing a trend here but people it's it's very popular in the true crime circles but if i ever ask anyone else like someone at work or someone someone in my family no one's ever heard of it some interesting six degrees of separation a long time ago we had author deborah halber on and she wrote uh, skeleton crew and skeleton crew was written in 2014 joe hill read that book in skeleton crew she mentions lady of the dunes so that was fresh on his mind when he saw the movie so yeah. he reads the book sees the movie and goes oh so it's it's interesting that De- deborah halber we talked to her we talked about lady of the dunes and then joe hill finds this and it all sort of comes full circle uh, today, at least for us. I like how you said a long time ago we interviewed author Deborah Halber. That it was, was years, like, twenty years <laughs> ago. It was like March of 2017. <laughs> it's a long time in the podcast world. You know what's happened since March of 2017? <laughs> a lot has happened. That That's, is, I mean, thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot of crime news, Golden yeah. State Killer. But yeah. if anybody wants to watch Jaws, uh, the the part that we're talking about, I don't know if we said this, it was about a third of the way through, and it's a scene where the uh, the ferry. Um, the people are getting off the ferry at Martha's Vineyard. So it's a shot of the crowd all walking through about a third of the way through. So now let's, let's talk about this, uh, this guy, Richard Russell, who uh, was an employee at SeaTac airport and he, he hijacked, uh, and maybe that's kind of too strong of a word. He he worked at the airport, and, and he climbed into an Alaska Airlines airplane, and he took off with it. I'd say if he was still alive and yeah. he got away with it, we would say hijacked. They'd be but... calling it a hijacking, yeah. yeah. He, he stole the plane. He stole the plane. He, he took it for a joyride, uh, something he knew was wrong at the time. And he intended to not come back from alive. Yeah. It's it's really crazy. We've been listening to the the, the audio on this mm-hmm. um, a lot, and we've been trying to wrap our head with like this morning. You said, does you know the depressur- depressurization of the cabin have anything to do with like him not doing that? And he's lacking oxygen, like and, sounding so uh, cheery because so cheery. it doesn't sound like you know in in these audio clips that we're about to play. Actually, he doesn't sound like he's about to die like the guy dies no. 10 minutes later he doesn't sound like he's not sobbing he's not he doesn't sound like you would imagine someone who's suicidal sounds right we're so trained to see movies where someone's standing on the edge of a building and then the the police have their the person that comes up the suicide person comes up and talks them down and the person goes through all of their problems in life but this guy was talking as if we're talking right now it was like he was having fun on a roller coaster and now we're going to play a five-minute clip of the communication between him and the tower. If you were to do it, how would you do it? Well, I'd try to figure out how to use the autopilot first, not concentrate so much on flying the airplane. Hey, you think about landing this successfully, uh, Alaska will give me a job as a pilot? Uh, you know, I think they would give you a job doing anything if you could pull this off. Yeah, right. Nah, I'm a white guy, eh? If you want it to land, probably the best bet is that uh, runway just ahead and to your left. Again, that's uh, McCord Field. If you wanted to try, that might be the best way to set up and see if you can land there. Or just like the uh, pilot suggests, another option would be over Puget Sound into the water. Dang, uh, did you talk to McCord yet? Because I don't think I'd be happy with you telling me I could land like that because I could mess some stuff up. Well, Richard, I already talked to him, and... uh, 
just like me, what we want to see is you not get hurt or anybody else get hurt. So like I said, if you want to try to land, that's probably the best place to go. Hey, I want the coordinates of that orca with the, you know, the mama orca with the baby. I want to go see that guy. Behind you, there is another aircraft. Would you be willing to talk to them if they're on the frequency and maybe they can help you land? Back in this water. Hey, what's, the, what's that airport right there behind me, like to my left? Okay, Rich, well, first of all, we, we just need you to keep flying the aircraft. And so if you could just stay there and keep flying the aircraft. The, air, the, uh, the airport you just passed over on your left, that's the uh, Tacoma Narrows Airport. I mean, that's also an option if you want to try going there. But uh, like I said earlier, McCord, that's a, that's a bigger runway if you wanted to try to land there. Yeah. Hey, is that pilot on? I want to know uh, what this weather is going to be like in the Olympics. Well, if you can see the Olympics, the weather's good. I can see the Olympics from my window, and it looks pretty good over there. All right, because I, I hit some, uh, felt like turbulence around right near, but there was no clouds hardly. Oh, uh, that's just the uh, the wind blowing over all the bumpy surfaces there. Some gas to go check out uh, the Olympics. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But, Rich, if you could, uh, maybe start a left-hand turn. Start turning back around, because if you get too close to the Olympics, uh, you won't be able to hear us anymore. Turn back around here. Like I said, I just want to keep talking to you. And if you keep going towards the Olympic Mountains, we won't be able to hear each other. I got a lot of people that care about me, and uh, it's going to disappoint them to, to hear that I did this. Um, I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. Um, just a broken guy, got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it <clears throat> until now. Man, have you been to the Olympics? These guys are gorgeous. Holy smokes. Yeah, I have been out there. It's, it's it's always a nice drive. But if you could, if you could start a left turn and uh, turn back towards the east. I know you're getting a good view there, but uh, if you go too much further in that direction, I won't be able to hear you anymore. All right. Um, hey, pilot guy, can this thing do a, uh, a backflip, you think? I'm going to land it. Uh, like... Uh in a safe, safe kind of manner. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm gonna try to do a barrel roll, and if that goes good, I'll just go nose down and call it a night. Well, Rich, before you do that, uh, let's think about this. I got another uh, pilot coming up, Pilot Joel, here in just a minute or two, I hope, and uh, we'll be able to give you some advice on what to do. We call it a bug. It's uh, like a little blue rectangle. It's just somewhere around the compass. Do you see that? Um, just kind of lightheaded, dizzy, um, man, and, you know, the sights went by so fast, too, I was thinking, like, I'm going to have this moment of serenity, you know, I'll be able to take all, in all the sights, and, uh, there's a lot of pretty stuff, but, uh, I think they're prettier in a different context. The right-hand side, uh, above you, on the right-hand side air conditioning panel, you'll see it. It's a big panel. There's three switches along the top of it. Make sure all three of those switches are in the down position. I don't know where I've been at this whole time. Okay, Rich, thank you. 2,500 to be exact. Okay, thank you. And do you have an idea of how much fuel you have left? Oh, uh, man, not enough. 
Rounds up to get by, uh, like, uh, He's talking about the Olympic mountains in the distance. He yeah, uh, he, was, he was talking about, I, I believe, a, a local news story about an orca whale. Um, yeah, really not what you expect to hear from someone who's about to crash an airplane. Yeah, it sounded. I mean, first of all, I just want to commend the the people he's talking to, the the tower that he's communicating with. Uh, I can't believe how calm they are. I can't believe how uh, how how succinct they are in their comments to him and actually being genuine and caring for him to land and the concern of you know we don't want you to hurt yourself or anybody else and that's that's uh that that's a testament to their training and their professionalism uh also his concern for not wanting to mess up someone else's situation at i think it was mccord air uh air uh airport mccord airport where he said, you know, I wouldn't be cool if you told me to do, you know, if I was down there and something. And they said, no, no, we cleared it with them. It, you know, it certainly doesn't sound like somebody who wanted to mess up anyone else's day by what he's doing. Yeah, no, he did. He later apologized for doing what he did. So a lot of a lot of people are going to be disappointed in me. Yeah. And Sarah actually just says he seems at peace with dying. Maybe that's just something so simple that we're missing is that we can't wrap our head around being at peace with dying. He made that commitment in his own head and he had already made peace with that. So that was his that was what he was uh going to do that day. Seemed like he had considered trying to land the plane but didn't actually like they almost talked him out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. But yeah, he must have made the decision when he took off on the plane obviously. He not being a pilot, he didn't know how to land it. Uh, the only things he did know about flying an airplane were learned through video game simulations. And by the way, the guy pulled off an incredible loop-de-loop. Professional pilots are saying that this thing is something that you need years of training to do. Like, this is a difficult maneuver. Was flying the plane upside down and went like this over the water and pulled out of it. And we're watching it right now. And it was an absolutely incredible move. People on the ground thought they were seeing an air show. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching that video at first, I thought, well, well, there's absolutely no way he can pull out of this. Yeah. Like, I thought that I was about to watch the video of him crashing into the water, um, but he pulls out of it incredibly. It's almost like that Denzel Washington uh, movie, Flight. I don't know oh, if you saw and he that. lands on the top of it. Well, he actually, yeah, he rolled the plane yeah. upside down on purpose. But, like, like, we didn't hear that moment in the in the, the walkie-talkie, but... Uh, how do you even sit down when you're upside down like that? Obviously, he's buckled in. Yeah, you're imagine. strapped in. Yeah, but <laughs> was he was he not woohooing? Was he talking calmly at that point? I'm confused about how that part went down. I would imagine. I have no idea. Yeah, I can't speculate. But from hearing what he's uh, how he's 
talked in the in the previous clip, I, I would imagine that after he completed it, he probably had a feeling of euphoria and maybe did a couple woohoos. Yeah. Um, but learning how to fly a plane through video games, which he says, you know, and I, I think that might have been a little cheeky on his part. Like, oh, I've I've done I've I played some video games. He was uh, how long a, a mechanic, or he worked there for three years, three and a half years, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and he probably talked a lot about um flying with other pilots he had a lot of information at his on hand i think it's funny that he didn't plan on landing like he said he he wasn't sure about landing and said something about landing gear mm-hmm. but he can pull that move off he could have probably figured out how to land especially on water probably could have landed it in water yeah yeah, yeah but tragic i don't know what to uh, i don't know what to make of his his attitude this is a once in a lifetime thing that we've seen yeah Chloe, as a mental health specialist, what are your feelings about this story? Well, um, a lot of our, a lot of the patients that I work with are suicidal. To be committed to a psychiatric hospital, you need to be a danger to to yourself or others. So, a lot of that is people with suicidal ideation, and just from what I've observed over the years, there are people who make serious attempts, and there are people who make non-serious attempts, and I think. The people that make the non-serious attempts, like those that have some sort of um, rescue mechanism, something that could potentially, mm-hmm. they, they could, like, for instance, people that will overdose and then regret it, that's kind of a recu- rescue mechanism. Shooting yourself in the head or nosediving a plane, not so much. You don't really have a rescue mechanism. So I would consider this man's attempt a serious attempt, and that's probably why he was at such peace, because he decided, like, I am making this decision, I am doing it. And statistics show that men are significantly more likely to make serious attempts or or successful attempts, I guess, would be the better word. Women are more likely to um, survive a suicide attempt. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting to me, and maybe you can um, shed some light on it, Chloe, is when he said that, I guess I'm just a broken man, got a few screw loose, uh, got a few screws loose, didn't realize that until now. He said, "What? what is that? Did he really not realize it until he towed the plane out into the uh to the runway and took off and then he then he realized it or was this something that had been festering it must have been right there is some sort of to me i I interpreted that as a detachment from reality because that is a serious attempt to take off on a plane that you don't know how to land but it's extremely expensive ostentatious it's obviously going to garner a lot of attention the way that he was doing that flight show obviously that's going to garner attention in and of itself but in a post 9-11 world a stolen plane like creates a lot of panic so he and i think either he was fully aware that he was going to do that and enjoyed that and that we can speculate on what that reflects in him or what that reflected in him or we can say he was he had a detachment from reality to be doing something that wild and so attention grabbing and then say, oh, I might have a couple screws loose. I'm just realizing it now. That's a bit of a downplay. So either he's not understanding reality or he's playing games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
he was kind of jokey. I mean, he was he was singing for a moment uh, there. So yeah, he was seemed yeah. I mean, it's a great point. He seemed at peace with it, and he seemed uh, seemed ready and willing. Uh, we just want to uh, mention that uh, Sarah Turney mentioned there is a petition to try uh, to try our father, a petition to try her father for Alyssa's death. It went. Uh, it is now at thirty thousand signatures in the past month. Justice for Alyssa. Follow that hashtag. Right. The case um, had something very good happen to it. This very popular and wide-reaching YouTuber named, I think her name's Kendall Ray. Mm-hmm. She covered the case, and she's a huge following. And after that, after the videos that she made, the case, I think that's what inspired all of those signatures. Yeah. So yeah, check out her channel if you want. The video that she made was really good, and it featured Sarah. Great. And a uh, big uh, shout out to Billy Jensen, who hey, joined Billy. us in the chat room. What's, What's up, Billy? Hey. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know, really. And uh, yeah, we, we have been meaning to to contact you to try to get you back on Crawl Space. So uh, look out for our email coming soon to your inbox. Billy Jensen just did something with the Golden State Killer, right? Well, uh, what was the... No, there was new news about the Golden State Killer. Yeah, they, they, charged, to touch on that. they charged another... Um, a, the murder that was associated to the Visalia ransacker. The Visalia, yeah, the Visalia. Visalia. <laughs> is now, is the Golden State Killer Joe D'Angelo has been charged with that murder, the murder of Claude Snelling. And, and that's was, a yeah. sickening case. I mean, yeah. all of them are, but this was a father that intercepted his daughter's kidnapping. The suspect was in the process of taking her out of the house to do horrible things to her, likely. The father interrupted it tried to rescue her and he died as a result um but he rescued his daughter because the suspect fled right after he killed him shot him and yeah. fled mm-hmm. yeah and so billy jensen of course is uh, immersed in that case uh, having written part of i'll be gone in the dark of course uh, the hit true crime book from uh, this past year so check that out if you haven't already it's getting quite a uh, quite a quite some buzz out there about being the um the the Facebook detective here. Oh yeah, that's right. New yeah, that, article about. That's what him. I was. Yeah. I was kind of conflating those okay. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk now about our final uh, subject here today on this live crawlspace vault episode. DB Cooper. How much time do we have here? Because I want to vent on one thing for one second. Because I, I haven't been Lancey Grace in a little while. I was on my way in and I was listening to the news because I like to be an informed person or at least pretend to be. And I just want to, I just want to uh, figure out how we can change the state of Pennsylvania's state constitution to get rid of the statute of limitations on child molestation. Because can first of all, can priests stop molesting kids? And in Pennsylvania, there's a huge case, and now there's one in Brighton again. Huge case, another one where by the time these children are old enough to realize what's wrong, assemble their thoughts, and say, I'm going to fight back, and then get other people to help them, the statute of limitations is up. I I think it's horrible. That's my vent. We can do a change.org or whatever. I just want to get it out there. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, you're Uh, welcome for letting me know. That is a crazy uh, story, obviously, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Lancey. Yeah, thanks, Lancey Grace. (laughs) Okay, so now let's talk about D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper, of course, is the man who skyjacked an airplane back in 1971, landed it, got money that he demanded, then took off again, and then jumped out of the airplane with the money and has never been seen or heard from 
again. $200,000. Until now. Until allegedly now. This is a fascinating, and I think this probably is why Billy Jensen is on. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a crazy, crazy story. So, that, yeah, there, there's a reasonably new book that came out a couple of years ago called The Last Master Outlaw, How He Outfoxed the FBI Six Times But Not a Cold Case Team. It's written by Thomas Colbert and Tom Silosi. And uh, really compelling theory that they have now unmasked uh, the long unknown D.B. Cooper. And they say it's a man who's a former professor in uh, California. His name may be Robert Rackstraw, but also he had 22 aliases. Right. So the, 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 the evidence against this guy is really compelling. Yeah, I mean, would we? It's it's a lot of ev- connective tissue, I suppose you'd say. The the composite sketch. There was one um, composite sketch, uh, I guess, expert that said if you if you laid over the composite sketch to the picture of him, uh, his army enlistment photo, I believe, uh, if you laid that over and and traced it, it would be pretty much identical. It's pretty close. Google DB Cooper Robert Rackstraw, and yeah, and I actually saw. I read recently that composite sketches they're most accurate in this part of the face so So the face part of the face yeah like the eyes nose mouth like sometimes you'll see that the head is too big the Mm. face is too wide it's too short too long but so that's what you really want to focus on those features and i see in that overlay the features are identical but the sketch his face is a little bit wider well not to uh go one step further but to go one step further it has met all nine characteristics of uh, a composite or of a uh, of a to to match a sketch to someone's um, to someone's face. So eye color, hair color, head shape, um, et cetera, et cetera. The pilot and the flight attendants all got a very good look at him, and the composite was done fresh. So I think it would definitely accurately reflect what he looked like. I believe that they have DNA from DB Cooper. He had a clip-on tie that I think he left behind before he parachuted out of the plane. So they could probably easily confirm this. I just know that a lot of people historically, like this case happened in 1971. Mm -hmm. Many people have come forward and said, I know who D.B. Cooper is. Like it was my brother. They confessed on the deathbed. There were so many false alarms. So I wonder if this can be quickly confirmed. There's so many, a lot of people are fascinated with the case just because of the mysterious nature. Did he survive the jump and just elude authorities? Is he still alive? Uh, Did he die with the jump? Because some of his money was found years later. Right. So we don't know what happened to him. Which is part of this story, though. Yeah. Right. Uh, And the FBI has said that uh, the man known as D.B. Cooper jumped from the plane and perished in the in the uh, wilderness. They've said that officially? That, right. That's why uh, Colbert sued the FBI to get the information, because they had officially closed the case. But yeah, I'm hopeful that this can be a confirmed identification soon. I'm not so sure the FBI really wants to make that confirmation. You know, th- th- this is news that isn't brand new, really. Kind of similar to the Lady of the Dunes uh, news. It's kind of getting another a second life now. Um, so I, I don't think that unless the pressure becomes that much for the FBI, it doesn't seem like they're super interested in this. The, I believe the most recent FBI update that's been given to the media is that the case is effectively closed unless someone can present them or they were to find the parachute or more money, I think, or remains. Okay. I think they need that. So 
you're probably right. They're probably not going to pay attention to the speculation because they were very clear with what would inspire further investigation. And that does not meet the criteria. And they're probably used to that and exhausted by this. So this man, Robert Rackstraw, was in the Army. In uh, 1969, he joined the famed 1st Cavalry Air Mobile Division in Vietnam. So he uh, was a helicopter aviator as well, first lieutenant, uh, and he did a lot of jumps. So there's a lot of this that actually fits who authorities thought D.B. Cooper was for all these years. Yeah, as as elite as he was with his military training and as um, sort of accomplished as he was in the military, he was equally as infamous in the military, known as a con man, known as uh, somebody who would uh, lie, cheat, and steal. So it's almost like he had this obvious double life that he was living. Right. Yeah, he was a check forger, deadbeat dad, uh, grifter. <laughs> so grifter. Uh, yeah. Well, he he would he would con people. I mean, yeah. this this sounds like perfect for for the suspect. And he's never denied, outright denied, not being DB Cooper. There's an account where he says that. He's afraid of heights, but he says it sort of tongue in cheek with a smile. There's a another account. He, from, we know he jumped. He was a he was trained ju- through jumping. So yeah, and he's joking. He's clearly joking. Yeah. He's a helicopter pilot. Right. <laughs> I think uh, I I w- just will say that I think there are people that other people have hinted like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm DB Cooper, and maybe even confessed to it before they died. So I think some people enjoy people thinking that and. I don't know. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, but this guy, did he actually admit it in, in not so many words? Well, there was a reporter, and uh, the reporter's name, uh, this was in 1979, reporter Warren Olney of uh, KNBC spoke to him. That's when he said he was afraid of heights, and then he pressed him a little further. And he says uh, that his background being a you know a jumper, parachute training, uh, Rackstraw responded by said, could have been, could have been. And then another uh, court reporter had asked him about it, and he says uh, the subject changes from third person to first person because he calls D.B. Cooper a person that changed the legal system and beat it. Then he switches to first person and says, I think I stand for the American people. I really do. And then he uh, toyed with with the news reporter. And says, uh, oh, yes, if I was an investigator, definitely so. I wouldn't discount myself or a person like myself. And then goes on to say there's there's no denial whatsoever, my dear, to another reporter. She was a courtroom reporter that uh, pressed him about being D.B. Cooper. And that was in February 9th of 2018. And he said, the, there's no denial whatsoever, my dear. So this isn't somebody who is sort of straying away from... <laughs> the the reputation that he could be D.B. Cooper. Right. But to Chloe's point, he a- hasn't actually said he was. Yeah, he's like, he, he's playing games. Yeah, he only <laughs> said, well... I'm not going to deny it. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, he is. Well, I was, I was kind of annoyed with it, too. He's yeah. got his yacht that says uh, poverty sucks. That's that's where he's living now, but he makes it out to be like he's a poor man. Yeah. Um, he's still alive, in case people weren't aware yeah. of that. He's living still in Southern alive. California. Yeah. So five months before the hijacking, the D.B. Cooper hijacking, he was booted from the Army. He was officially booted from the Army for lying about multiple medals and faking the attendance at two California universities. So, lying. <laughs> okay. So, what do you guys think? You think this is the guy? Has, has D.B. Cooper finally been unmasked in this, uh, in this, new, in this somewhat new book? I, w- I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, all all everything seems to point in that direction, doesn't yeah. it? 
uh, yeah, the, the age, the the composite sketch, his his background, his behavior. I believe he was even trained to skydive by his uncle, Ed Cooper. And in a letter, one of those six letters that he wrote yeah. to the press and to police. Actually, I don't know if it was to police, but one of those six letters that's out there, he references that uh, I'm going to use all the knowledge. I'm going to use the, the experiences that Uncle taught me. And they thought that that was a reference to uh, Uncle Sam. Like Uncle Sam, he trained to, to parachute in the Army. Yep. Uh, but he did have an uncle that trained him to be a uh, skydiver. Um, there are all of these these connecting things. There's also, and this is uh, something that I'm I'm really confused about. Uh, Colbert and his team of investigators decoded these letters, mm-hmm. and when we were first looking into it, you were saying decoded, and I expected to see some cipher like the zodiac, and it was decoded. But these are written letters; these are actual sentences that were decoded. But it doesn't, unless I'm missing something, it doesn't tell you how they were decoded. Yeah. So you can actually just look at something and say, he wrote this sentence, and I've decoded it to say, if I'm caught, I'm, I'm CIA. Yeah, but so how did you get little, to that? Seems a little confusing to me, too. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I haven't seen the documentary. There's also a documentary yeah. on History Channel. Um, which uh, I ne- now need to look at because I feel like this is really compelling uh, circumstantial evidence. The guy didn't deny it. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's him. I really think it's him. I think I think the mystery has been solved personally. I'm not convinced, <laughs> but but we shall see. I think when you I think the I believe I did watch the History Channel documentary. If the one that I did watch is called um, D.B. Cooper case closed yeah, question mark. That, that was the one. Yep. Yeah. I think you'll see you, you can people can present so much evidence like so much circumstantial evidence that someone meets the profile. They didn't deny it. Maybe they confessed on their deathbed, but it never added up. So there were so many false alarms. So, I, yeah, I, I'm going to if I could bet, I would bet. No, you'd bet. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, Lance? he was identified as a suspect in the 70s. 1978. Like yeah. Yeah. And they, the FBI actually focused on his partner. Right. Tell us about that because that's well, really I interesting. T- I don't know too much about it. I just know that the FBI was focused on one guy and the cold case unit that uh, helped write this book with Thomas Colbert and uh, the other Tom. They looked at that suspect at first and then pivoted to Rackstraw. And then they said this guy actually fits the mold a lot better than the original suspect. I want to confirm that they have DNA because... If, if there is, then we then we have no reason to speculate, because if he was a suspect back in the 70s, you would bet that once the DNA technology advanced, they would be able to eliminate him. OK, well, uh, what are the thoughts out there? Let's see. Sarah Turney says, I am not so sure about this one. I just want to point out that we're focusing um, accidentally on uh, stories that take place in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. So we got Seattle. We got. Um, yeah. Anything, Chloe? They have a DNA sample. They do. Okay, yeah. but but in the FBI's eyes, the case is closed, so they're not going to bother, it seems like. Well, may- maybe, probably not at this point, but like if he, he's been a suspect all this time. Yeah. So I, I'd imagine they've already done that if, if they were actively following up on things. And I have no reason to believe that they weren't. Yeah. I mean, the circumstantial evidence just is almost hard to ignore when you're looking at you know i don't want to say that it's him because i'm just not a professional investigator but the uh the alternate identity that he used one of them was norman de winter and that was somebody that uh he was a, a con artist that uh, more than a dozen witnesses in in oregon uh claimed to be uh living amongst for a few months 
and they uh, they were shown a picture of the sketch of D.B. Cooper, and they said that's Norman DeWinter. Norman DeWinter disappeared like a day or something, or like two days before the actual hijacking, right. and then never returned. Yeah, I mean, how that's so it's 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 a script. First of all, this like, guy's a master con artist, supposedly or allegedly had twenty two different aliases. I have like twenty five. <laughs> So he actually, um, the name that he signed in onto the flight with, obviously a pseudonym, pre-9-11 world, right. um, was Dan Cooper, actually, not D.B. Cooper. But that's, I guess D.B. Cooper is catchier and that's what's stuck in the media. But interestingly, you wonder how does someone pick their pseudonym? And Dan Cooper was actually a character in a French comic series about the, um, about the Canadian military. And there's a lot of speculation that he was in the Air Force because of his knowledge of parachuting and planes. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather was actually in the Royal Canadian Air Force. And so I was like, oh, maybe my grandfather was D.B. Cooper. You know, you can speculate so easily. Nice. But he wasn't. (laughs) I ruled it out. Would you have wanted him to be? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, I would, but I don't think... (laughs) It'd be kind of cool, yeah, but sure. I don't think other family members would feel the same way. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening here today to our Facebook Live Crawl Space Vault episode. So thank you, everybody, for joining in and listening. Thanks to Sarah Turney. Aurelia's in there. Haley, what's up? What's Billy up? Jensen. So thank you, everybody, for joining. We'll try to do these a bit more regularly in the future. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.